You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I'm glad you're here. I am with always some of my great buddies um, up in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeffrey Simpson. Hey, hey. Down in um, the Palmetto State, Delmar Pete. Hello there. And our friends keeping it nice and warm. I don't know. It's probably like 85 degrees right now. Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations. It's only 80. (laughs) And Timothy Miller. And I hail from the northern parts and it is 79 degrees up here. (laughs) Nice. Is it really? Are you north of Andrew? I guess that's true. I am. 20, 20 yeah, minutes by one degree, Tw- by tw- by one, one degree north, actually. <laughs> yeah, you might as well get your, your parka out. Hey, um, so uh, Delmar, you, you posted a very a cinematic video to your Instagram lately. Uh, I think you have a big announcement that we just found out as well. Can you yeah, share with everybody? I'm, I am having a baby girl. Yes. Yeah, baby buddy. girl. I've got two boys and I've got a girl. It just hit me in my sleep last night. That are uh, two nights ago that I have managed to avoid frozen this much in my life, but I think my number <laughs> has anymore. gotten called. Uh, yep. You probably miss out so, on frozen, but in two years, whatever the movie is, yeah, yeah but <laughs> that's true. Well, you know, and I think that uh, it's only fitting that uh, any any new entrance into the world needed a launch video. So as my baby's launch video, so she drops at the end of June. So <laughs> be sure to check she her drops. out. <laughs> quite quite literally. Quite literally. (laughs) But yeah, dude, it's weird because, you know, I went in there, I was 50-50 on wanting a boy and a girl. And, (laughs) you know, because I've got two boys. And then when I saw the girl, I'm not going to lie, we're looking at ultrasound. And when I saw it was a girl, like this emotional thing just like punched me. Mm -hmm. And like my wife looks over, she's like, you're crying. I'm like, I don't know why. I didn't know girls were supposed to get to a father that quick. But like literally, as soon as I had a girl, it was like, I'm going to have a baby girl. <laughs> and it just, mm. so some of y'all, you, you, some of you have girls. So, you know, that feeling. I have I think, four daughters. So I do know that feeling very, very well. Oh yeah. Jeff, Tim and Andrew, you guys all have daughters, right? No, True. I've got, I've got four oh, you, sons. You got four and sons. This is, this some is of like your the closest one season. friends that you introduced. <laughs> you don't know that he has no daughter. Okay, but Tim and Andrew have like Hang on, a is litter. Speaking, is, it's coming from a guy who is who's not, you know, they don't have kids yet. So it's like, it's, been, so it's, it's it. different. It's a different and world. T- and Tim and Andrew have a litter of children. We have, they have we so have many nine kids. kids between That's us. true. When you see pictures <laughs> of you guys, you don't know whose kids are whose. Yeah. I don't care enough. Let me like, tell you. You're all together at Disney. It's just one big happy, I don't know what's going on. This, you this know, is the one couple weeks a year where like, I wish I had a girl. Usually I'm like, do you know what? I'm good. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I don't ever want a teenage girl living at my house. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't need that. But all of the daddy-daughter dances and all that stuff that happened right around Valentine's Day, that's oh. when I get jealous. That's when I'm like, oh, man. It was super special. It was one of those. And, you know, Zoe looked at me and said, Daddy, this was this was the best date night of all time. And I looked at her and said, yeah, absolutely. I tell you, before I had kids, you know, you're married. You're like, this is love. And then you have a kid and it's like this box in your heart is unlocked that you didn't know existed. And this like love animal comes out. And then like I was told when you have a girl, it's like you found a box inside of that box where you're like, oh, 
oh my gosh, this is accurate. I, I cannot take any more levels of depth of love with another human than this. So I'm kind I of looking like forward to that. This is way too much to talk about Dell's love animal coming out. <laughs> yes. And we need to get into the uh we need to get into our content, otherwise it's just going to get weird. Too many, too many emotions being unlocked today for Delmont. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, um, before we, we dive into our clergy cliff notes, we want to remind you guys that we have a book club. I just finished. I was going to grab the book, but this is an audio format anyways. But uh, I'm, uh, I, uh, I finished the book uh, two days ago, and uh, I'm ready to talk about it. There, there's some really, really, really good stuff. And then there's some stuff I felt like he was being a little bit um, maybe too snarky or too harsh about, but I think there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I think it's really, really good. So it's not too late. Um, if you if you haven't done so, join our Facebook group. We are talking about um, having a book club on March 1st at 1 p.m. Eastern um, live in the Facebook group. So it's not too late to go buy the book, to go listen to the audio book, to whatever you need to do so that way you can join us as we talk about the book. The Gospel Driven Church by Jared C. Wilson. I bought mine this morning and will be audibling all week. Yeah, dude, so you can audible is... through a book. You can burn through that in a few hours. And this one's not, yeah, it's not yeah. a long one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the audio file is seven chapters or is seven hours total. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's not we're bad. good. I will tell you, though, I, I'm, I'm, I'm running through it right now. I'm, I'm in the middle of it, and some of it does burn. Um, like as far, especially if you're in the church world, but here's the thing, if that burn offends you and makes you want to back off of it, that's probably why you need to keep going. At least that's how I've felt Mm. in the book so far. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, we'll talk about all that on March 1st. Um, so join our Facebook group, but before we go into our clergy cliff notes, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are we have a, a good clergy club today, brought to us not just by the Gospel Coalition, but the Canadian Gospel Coalition. They have their own oh, version of the TGC, Canada, and so and <laughs> that's, that's a good hymn. I'm about to watch hockey. <laughs> Um, so there's a story that's made the rounds and it, I, I feel like it's a mixture of like a fever dream of every American Christian of every like a <laughs> conservative American Christian. But at the same time, like this is, this is actually kind of a serious thing. Um, uh, February 16th, uh, of this year, there was a pastor named James Coates, uh, turned himself into the police where he was arrested on two counts of contra contravening the public health act. And mm. on one criminal charge for failing to comply with the condition of an undertaking. Okay, so a couple of things to realize: this is Canada, so a lot of stuff is different than how we would understand the rules here in America. But ultimately, it comes down to this: he refused to follow some of the COVID orders that, ca- that the Canadian government put in place, or maybe his province has put in place. And um, and because he knew he was breaking the law, I guess. He turned himself in. Um, and I don't know if he turned himself in as kind of like this act of like, you know, I'm so faithful to the Lord. I'm going to turn myself into jail because of the fact that like we're breaking COVID protocol. I also don't want to um, undermine him and think too little of it because maybe there is other reasons here. But ultimately, um, 
this church in California, I'm sorry, the church in Canada has found itself that it's facing a lot of churches in America. There's these, these COVID restrictions in Canada, at least in this province, there's a 15% of fire code capacity for worship, right? So only up to 15%. So someone really good with math. If this church was 500 people, what is 15% of that? 75. Yeah, 75. So, see, so if you were I a could call college algebra twice. Wow. <laughs> so if you were a 500 person church and you could only have, you said 75 people, that's, yep. that's significantly short, like small, like mm-hmm. in America, I think a lot of us are allowed to have a, um, you know, 50% capacity, which isn't terribly bad in a lot of our spaces. Um, but there are, but they are allowed to have the Lord's supper to baptize, to have preaching and worship. We're like, I, I, I think in California, you were not allowed to have uh, singing worship. Right. So like for a while, yeah, for a while, I think they brought it back, but all this stuff is happening. And this is like kind of the first case there was, I know there was threats towards John MacArthur about getting him arrested, but that never really uh, happened. But this is the first time we've seen someone actually arrested because they did not want to comply with the COVID orders. No, we had a pastor in Tampa yeah. arrested the week oh, of yeah. like the, the week of the shutdowns. But he's a Looney Tune, so we just like, eh. <laughs> a little different. You're he was right. like, oh, we, we we installed you know air purifiers that would kill the virus in Jesus' name, and You're all right. that kinds of nonsense. That story was... oil everywhere. That's right. I forgot about that story. <laughs> um, man. So I guess. Um, all I have to say is this: is this is kind of the uh, kind of one of the more high-profile examples of a pastor getting arrested for this COVID nineteen stuff. I want to believe now that, um, according to you know Papa Fauci, the numbers are going down in America. Though we hit half a million, which is pretty incredible in America, we hit half a million deaths to COVID nineteen. Uh, things are opening up. California is more open. I think they can have church services now. New York uh, just opened up uh, indoor seating at restaurants. And all that kind of stuff. So, and Florida is just open mouth kissing light poles everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Blah, 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 blah. So. <laughs> yep. yep, that's us. So I, guess, so I guess my question to everyone here is, hey, what, what does this story do for you? Understanding the fact that this is Canada. So this isn't like America where we have kind of a very deep understanding of our own judicial system. I don't, there might be some nuances I don't get here because it's Canada. But what are your thoughts with all this? Okay, I'll go on the chopping block first. Um, by the way, I just want to say this Gospel Coalition, it's, it's a good article, but the photo they use of Canada, it looks like the clouds right before the spaceships bust through on Independence Day. And that's all I can think is like Canada is about to go down. But anyways, um, you know, <laughs> I assume that's Edmonton. It may be, yeah, as, a, as a pastor, um, I think one of the things I try to do is when I see a potential for hazard, I always try to have a plan before the hazards upon me. And uh, like, like I always tell people, students, when they are dating, you need to determine the kind of person you want to date now. So make that list now. So that way, when he pops up in your radar, um, if he doesn't fit some pretty significant points on that list, you can pass him right up. Um, and I think right now, what it does for me as a pastor is it makes me take pause and say, okay, what am I willing to go to prison for? Like, like right now, um, like, should I violate, when, when would be a point to violate Caesar's orders? You know, um, I'm not saying that what this guy did was right or wrong. Cause I don't live in his context, but I know that he obviously has some kind of conviction. And I, and for me, you ask, what does it do for me? I think it's going to have to make my, um, hill to die on list. 
you know, um, when they try to shut you down, like when has it become the hill to die on? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm totally agree with you. That's basically what the, the whole conversation is. At what point are you willing to basically do civil disobedience? I read this story on the website and I'm, I mean, I'm basically like, my first reaction is, I mean, get more creative instead of doing this. You can do 15%, have a bunch of services, do something outdoors at a park. Just, you know, there's a bunch of different ways. Canada, um, February. Yeah, outdoors. true. Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> yeah, pretty cold, pretty cold. You're right, you're right. So, you know, have a bunch of, have a bunch of, um, uh, have a bunch of different services if you're allowed to. Uh, figure out a way to do something different. I mean, that's me. Uh, I, I still put this in the category of like fire codes and stuff that everybody has to abide by. Um, this is a, you know, a a province wide, the province of Alberta health order. And actually they're making an exception for churches to have more capacity than everybody else. So it's pretty tough to make the religious persecution argument here because according to the article, uh, the way I read it, there's more restrictions on other businesses and churches and religious organizations are actually allowed to do more things. So, you know, you can debate whether Canada is being too restrictive or not, but that's just where you live. So for me, it's like, I don't know, man, I, I read this and I'm like, you know, your building has a fire code all the time uh, with capacity limits. You can't just stuff your building full. And there's times when I've been in buildings and I've thought, Really? We can only fit 100 people in this space for fire code? You could easily fit 150, but, you know, that's the regulation. It is what it is. So, Fire code feels um, – sometimes when I look at fire codes, it feels subjective. Like, it, yeah. it feels like some guy just made this up. Is like, uh, And that's my have- point. Like, a lot of people <laughs> want to say COVID-19 restrictions yeah. feel pretty subjective, but yeah. it's just interesting that all of us are fine with fire codes. Like, we don't even question it. You know, it's just, well, what's the fire code? Oh, okay. None of us are going like, well, wait a minute, this is unconstitutional. They shouldn't limit us because of fire codes. Fires don't even happen that often. And if they do, we'll all run out and be fine. So to me, I put it in that same category. And hey, if you want to make a stand like this, go for it. And, you know, he turned himself in. So he didn't he didn't like run away and hide. He you know, so I, I respect that. I just I wouldn't do it this way. My my church, my campus, just is is about to have the fire code um, inspector guy come, and, mm-hmm. and when he comes, I'm gonna say, "Hey, don't tread on me," and then I'm gonna walk away. No, I'm just kidding. Um, when I when I read this article, I mean, I think like um, that'll make your future fire code visits go real smooth. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, one thing my church said is because Milwaukee, the actual city of Milwaukee is much more restrictive than the outskirts. Like, I think that's true for all cities. Like the suburbs County is the same way. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so at one point it was like 25% or maybe even 20% capacity. And one thing we said as a church was that regardless of what the capacity is, if it goes back down or whatever, we will rather open up multiple services. So that way we can have in-person services. So if it's 20% and we keep butting up to that, then we'll have six 20% services on Sunday right. to, to be able to reach that goal. So that way we can still have in-person services. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, I, I think the thing is, it's like, there. I what I appreciate about this TGC article is that it's not written with any kind of tone. Like, it's not written with like, yeah. TGC is not saying they're for, like, they're they're happy got arrested, upset a guy arrested. There, there's no tone in that. It's literally just the facts. And like the thing I I always say, kind of what you're saying, Jeff, is like when I see an article like this, I'm like, other churches are figuring this out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, 
like <clears throat> some other church has, is dealing with the same kind of capacity issues and they're saying okay you know they're they're going to have at capacity and they're either going to have multiple services or they're going to triple down on their online stuff or whatever i just i i mean like i do agree with you said delmar it's like when it comes to like i've been thinking about this a lot lately when it comes to like some other issues it's like if there's ever a, a moment where you, um you're like I think it's a little Orwellian to, to to go down this route, but when you start thinking of like, hey, you, you certain biblical things are deemed as hate speech, and so therefore you can't say it. I think like, yeah, like I'm not going to be down with that. I'm going to preach. I'm going to. I don't care, right? I I I don't necessarily. I'm strong enough to feel like this is an issue of like, again, if I'm the if the church is the only thing being censored here, then bro, let's fight. <laughs> right like and that's a little like ridiculous i'm not saying let's really fight but like that's what i'm saying it's like okay we got an issue here but if it's like like man i know businesses are shutting down and like and yeah. like other like every industry is struggling because of this right because of the restrictions are across the board on everyone and so therefore i feel like yep these are the lemons and we're gonna have to make really bad church lemonade with it because of that's the situation we're in now with that being said it's like like i'm always a big fan of like we're facing with a difficult situation dude let's get creative like let's open up multiple services let's let's figure something else out because this will pass and like i feel like even us in the states where i think we see the light at the end of the tunnel and i think we're, we're going to get to a time where like masks aren't going to necessarily be necessary and all that other kind of stuff let's get there but let's not like complain so much now that like when we have these situations in the future everyone's going to always assume oh here's the pastor again already complaining because now we have to put i mean like my church just got told by the city that um our sign that we proposed for the front of our building was too tall and it's like yeah i think it's dumb but like all right, we'll make it a six foot sign because we can't have an eight foot. Okay, it's okay. Like, we'll, we'll figure it out. I just don't want to be known as like every single thing that's a little inconvenient in our culture. The church is going to be known as the complaining group. I think the one area that this is different, you know, in, in Tampa, right kind of way back in March at the beginning of all this, um, the pastor that was arrested here, his name was Rodney Howard Brown. He has been trying to make himself famous and turn himself into a martyr yeah. and get on Fox News for 25 years. This is not the feel that I get from Pastor Coates up in Alberta. This isn't what well, it doesn't feel like this is a guy trying to, well, I'm going to be a martyr on this because then I can get my book sold. I'm going to be a martyr on this because then I can get invited to those conferences. Mm-hmm. This feels like a, this is a genuine conviction and here's my line in the sand. And so I'm going to, you know, he, here I stand and it's not where I would draw a line in the sand. I'm you know, going to agree with what all of you guys have said so far, but I think it needs to be said that this doesn't feel like a guy who's trying to get his name out there. Who's trying to do anything other than just uphold his conviction. Yeah. And as a pastor, I think one of the broad conversations we need to have in regards to this outside of what we would do is the importance of if you're going to make a decision like this, be it about this or other things that can affect your whole church is the clarity you need to have behind the pulpit and the clarity you need to have with any of your leadership teams about this decision, because you know what you're doing, you're not just affecting 
yourself. There is a group of people who are following your leadership who are affected. And um, I do think for him in his context with his people, hopefully they were together on the same page. Cause I do think in that church is supposed to be unified. If I'm going to make this decision to stand, um, it would be wise to seek counsel with people in your church, but also um, to make sure that your church understands the reason why. Because let's be honest, we have seen churches out there and they're making these stands, but it's just because they want their, their church to have some clout in the news. And it's pretty obvious once they interview the pastor. But like what we see is oftentimes... Um, when the heart is right, there's not the need for that clout because I don't know about you, but I have, there's different people in your congregation and your decision. If you do something like that, that's coming down on a polarizing end. You know, like in our church, we have the compliant people who are like, man, if they shut church all the way down, it's okay. God gave us technology. Let's go online and we will email you digital communion wafers and you can lick your screen and take communion. We'll figure it out and be creative. And then on the, I'm talking the extreme. And then on the other side of the extreme, they're like, listen, they don't take your guns away by removing your guns. They take your guns away by removing your ammo. So you can have your guns all day long, but you have no ammo. And that's what they're trying to do to the church. They want to keep your church, have your building. But we're just going to take away every opportunity you have to gather. I'm not saying both of those views are right. But what I'm saying is whatever decision you have to make is going to be in the midst of people carrying very opposing views as our church is really polarized. So the communication of what we're doing and showing how that's rooted in the gospel, showing how that's rooted in the wisdom that you've sought from other people is going to be one of the core things as pastors moving forward in an increasingly tense era. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting if you read the like the actual report from the health services, they've been I mean, he's been contravening the order since mid-December. So it's not like I was wondering, is this a sudden change? Like what happened? Uh, but it's like they're not um, there's no distancing. They're not masking and they're uh, going more capacity. So here it says there was like uh, 330 people inside the sanctuary, 56 people in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they and they're required to send some kind of health mitigation plan and they haven't done that. So like I, I don't know the full story, but when I read this report, it seems like it's been something where they've made a decision and they've stuck with it for a while now. And this is finally, you know, it's, it, it, it's easy to say like the government just arrested the guy first chance they got, but it yeah. seems like they, you know, they warned him, they warned him, they warned him and they didn't comply and kept meeting, kept meeting, kept meeting. And finally they said, all right, if you're not going to comply, then there's a warrant for your arrest. And he did turn himself in, you know, he didn't make him come arrest him and make a public this, stuff. So this is like that one. thing as, as a parent where you're like, if you do this again, I'm going to have to do something. And then the kid doesn't, you're like, dang it. Yeah. That, like, that's, you know, like it feels like the government is like, please don't make us yeah. do this. But when the restaurants and the salons and everybody else are starting to complain to say, how come you're doing this to us, but you're not doing this to this church down the street, they got to show up and do something. It's, it's not a fun situation. I blame. COVID. No, I, I would not want to be like the arresting officer in a situation because you're just nothing but a bad guy, you know? It's a tough well, one. I, yeah. And I think that's like been true in the States. It sounds very Canadian too, of like the police not wanting to arrest anybody. But like, uh, but like, I feel like that's true in the States. It's like, even, I mean, I think the John MacArthur church is a good example of this. It's like, I don't think anyone wants to go down to a church and arrest a senior pastor on a Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? And I think that like, I think like, 
for as much as we characterize the government as like this evil entity that's so against the church, it's like, I think over and over again, we keep seeing examples of like the government trying to be as gracious as they can towards religious institutions, despite the fact that like, they don't want to make too much of a statement, right? Like even this Canadian example, it's like they've been around for a long time and they've been, they've been doing things where like, they've even given more grace towards churches and other businesses. I don't know. It's, it's definitely interesting. I think a uh, couple of things come to my mind and we'll transition to our main segment. I, while we were talking, I went to the church's website and uh, at first I was like, Oh, this is kind of a legit church. It seems like I like, they have their church bylaws on their website, which I never see a church do is put their <laughs> bylaws on the website. And I was trying to get a vibe of what the church is. And then I go to their resources page and they have a library and the very first book that shows up is against Calvinism. And I'm like, what? And then, I, and then I go to other stuff and it's like all about Spurgeon and John MacArthur. So I don't know. All that to say is uh, I, I like this article in the okay, sense of how the it was The book written. against Calvinism is first because it's listed in alphabetical order. Nonetheless, why is it even in the library? I'm just kidding. Still there. Just <laughs> hey, still- you got your people have to come to that on their own, man. You got to help them out. No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. Uh, I, it's I think, actually I, a good book. <laughs> what what I'm skimming through on this website, it looks like a pretty like gospel center church. I kind of I kind of dig it. I don't know. This is off a cursory glance. Secondly, um, uh, you know what this makes me think of even more is like how important it is for us as pastors to like actually know our civic leaders, right? Like, mm. do you have a relationship with like, right. I mean, we can't all have a relationship with the governor, but like possibly even like have the mayor aware of who you are and then like know the police department, not in a sense that like we want to build a relationship. So it's like, we're like the mob and like, we're like, Hey, I scratch your back. You scratch mine. But more of just like, are you seen as constantly a thorn in the flesh of the civic right. people of your community? Or are you seen as someone that's actually an active member of the community? And when things actually rub against your faith, there's like a conflict of a conversation that says, well, man, I, I know Tim and like, he is a good guy and he's a good guy in the community, but like, you know, like can those conversations happen more eloquently when we're dealing with these type of issues where instead of straight up, Hey, we're going to arrest him. We're going to say, hey, let's send someone down to Tim to talk to them and say, hey, what are you guys doing? Are you guys actually even trying to have any kind of respectful boundaries or you know, social distancing? Because oftentimes what I'm seeing is there's like this huge divide in the sand between the civic, uh, the civil services and the churches. And it's just like people talking over each other. And then we have this like martyr complex where That's good. like I'm trying so best. Like I, like I met the mayor of the city I'm in once. And I want to try to step another one, but obviously COVID makes it difficult. Yeah, I know a couple police officers are high up, like like their chiefs. Um, I'm trying also, to. Co- I would say, Frank, knowing the influencers who are already in those relationships in your neighborhood. Yeah, like you know, there's a guy here. Uh, his name is Ernie, and he is he's just like the unofficial mayor of Lansdowne, <laughs> in a good way, like in a good way. So like becoming friends with him. And I didn't become friends with him for this reason, but I found out after the fact, like becoming friends with him, I have met now police officers and the police chief of our county called me and was like, hey, I heard you're doing good things and I want to get to know you and let's have coffee. And I didn't even initiate that conversation. And those are the kind of relationships because I called one of the police liaisons when this all started and was like, 
hey, we're thinking about doing this idea. Is this really the spirit of kind of the rules and what you're thinking, or is this kind of against? And we, yeah. you know, we were able to make some decisions there. But at least then, you're, it's like it shows that you're acting in good faith. You're yeah. doing your best. You're trying to comply as much as you can, um, but still communicate that you do have these convictions. And so you're not just like you said, a thorn in their side all the time. Yeah, that's good. Because there's a plenty of businesses in your community <laughs> that are a thorn in their side all the time for yeah. sure, and you don't want to be in that category. Correct. So basically, I think what I'm hearing all of us say is you need to have a plan before it happens to you. You need to be active in your community before you need to make that decision. And then your congregation needs to be informed. Those are three kind of broad things we just talked. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like let's as churches, like let's be faithful to what God has called us to do and not look for trouble. Like if we don't have to unnecessarily make the news, I think that's a good thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then I think like, yeah, it's like, like, are you a fixture in the community? Like, like I'm even thinking about this, my church butts up against a community. It's like, I want to figure out who the president of the HOA is. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, it, and that's such a dumb kind of like lower level kind of civil thing. But man, if no, you piss not, off, man. if you piss off the HOA, your church is going to be You're in trouble. Done. Right? You know what? <laughs> H- an HOA is affectionately known as a group of Karens. So if you can get to know the head Karen. <laughs> Get to know the head Karen, and she might turn into a Bonnie. Well, Sumter, South Carolina, Delmar Pete said that. None of us said that. We don't have Karens in our HOAs. Delmar said he has Karens in his HOA. (laughs) That's a broad statement. Man, you throw me under the bus. (laughs) You crawled right Actually, the HOA behind – no, we got lucky. The HOA behind the place where we're building our campus right now, we actually have quite a few congregants who come from there. So when little eruptions happen in the HOA Facebook group, they're able to be like, well, actually, you know that church was giving out 300 book bags to your community. So it's very helpful to your point, Frank. Yeah. I would say I want to add – on all of this, like Jesus told us this stuff was going to happen too. So like, don't be surprised. Don't be like, yeah. like anxious and frustrated about it. Like he said, this stuff was going to start to happen. So, I mean, you know, yeah. he said, rejoice when they speak evil against you on, on account of my name. So, I mean, just, just make sure it's on I, account I love, of his name. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure it's on account of his name. But at the same time, I right. love the idea yeah. of, uh, I can't remember who, where I read it, but just there's this idea of being a non anxious presence in the world. Hmm. And like, that's what Jesus was. And his, he's just not anxious about things because he trusts his father and he maintains his convictions that got him killed, but he's not anxious about it because he knows who he is and he knows what's set before him. And I would say, pastors, it's the same thing. You know, I mean, this is what Jesus said was going to happen. Don't create it out of nothing. But at the same time, if this is you and you have this conviction and you know that, hey, if I do this, they're probably going to arrest me. And you know that. Yeah. And you're like, this is my conviction. And you want to, and you're willing to do it. Then, you know, spread the gospel in the jail cell while you're there. Wow. That's good. It's just, all right. we all know those guys that are like, yeah, you know, if, if it can buck up against the system and get us a little bit more PR for sure, good or bad. And, and that's, where I, that's where I struggle with it. Follows. Yeah. It looks good on the socials. I'm like, I just, yeah, I struggle with all that stuff. All right, so fellas, what would you get arrested for? Like what? Like when you're when you're daydreaming, you're thinking, "Oh, here I am standing for Jesus." What What do you want to get arrested for? Like you know, I I punched the dad that was abusing the kid, or you know, whatever it was. Mm. What's that thing that you've like had that daydream of? It would be so cool to get arrested for this. <laughs> We have different daydreams, man. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get arrested. I, I just I just I literally not to get arrested if I don't have to. 
I went down to of white privilege. What do I want to get arrested <laughs> for? That is, I went down to one of our county jails last week to um, meet with a person that that um, got arrested from our church, um, not for anything church related. It was something else, and um, and the whole time I kept thinking about, it, I was like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't, I don't like him telling me his story and like what he's there for. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing glamorous about prison. Like, I mean, in a sense, like, I mean, in the biblical sense, like prison brings shame right and like and like ultimately like god can use that shame for his glory but it's like i don't want to be there you know what i'm saying ultimately you know andrew i don't think about getting arrested but you know what i do think about often and i don't know this may be like uh a, the 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 weird twisted fantasy of like martyrdom also is like when i'm preaching the the fear of someone like coming yeah. into your sanctuary coming in the back of the room yeah yeah, yeah. And, and like i do sometimes think about like you know, what if like the guy shoots me um, while I'm on the stage? Like, do I hide behind the pul- a pulpit? You know what I'm saying? Like, I do think about that. Other than more of like, more of like actually like a risk assessment. Like, what would I do in that situation? Not so much like, I hope someone shoots me. Like, that's terrifying. But I think I, I say that because that threat actually happened a couple years ago where someone threatened to come to our building and like shoot the pastor. It never happened. The cops showed up first. But, um, but then I think about that all the time because it's scary up there. Because everyone's back is tw- turned towards the back, and you're the only one who can see everything. What would you do? Anyways, let's not talk about that. <laughs> we talk about that another day. This is getting to like <laughs> weird, weird fantasies with Andrew. This is what the podcast is moving into. <laughs> Good topic next, for next week. I would subscribe. That's my to that. next podcast. <laughs> Andrew's going solo. Hey, let's <laughs> let's take a yeah. quick, <laughs> let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk to you about our main discussion. <laughs> Hey, this is Delmar Pete from Practically Pastoring, and if you're a Christian, you know the importance of prayer in your life. I know I do. I've been keeping a prayer journal for over 20 years. I've got bunches of random books on my shelf, and over the last few years, I've really just been thinking through, you know, what can make this more an effective thing in my life, this thing between me and God, and I'm here to tell you that I think that the Sanctified Journal is a great tool in that direction. Um, It's a hardbound journal that's volumized on the front and the side, so you can actually number them on your shelf, but the inside is really where it's shines. Not only can you write your prayer at the bottom of every page, there's a place where you can summarize that day's prayer. So if you're ever needing to reflect back into it, also there's a place in the books that you can keep um, the sermon notes from every single week that you journal. So you can actually have your sermon notes with you to reflect back on in your prayer life. In addition to that, there's another section of the book where you can go back and put the name and the number of the page that you prayed the prayer on, and you can actually write how the prayer was answered. Beyond that, there's other things like milestone pages and what God has actually done in your life. Here's the thing. I just want to ask you, would you check it out? You can go to rectwretch.com, just click the journal, and you will actually be able to start a process of seeing just exactly how God has grown you. Cheers and amen. All right, so uh, for our main discussion today, we're going to talk about first-time visitors, first-time guests, and uh, this conversation kind of stepped from uh, Timothy posting a, um, a a Instagram story of what was it like a gift, a bunch of gift bags, right? Yep, it was yeah. my wife who runs our church's social media account, so she posted our our newcomers' gift bags that we were giving out, and I'll, I'll clarify this because we don't do gifts for first-timers. Our gifts are actually for third timers. That's kind of what we try Whoa. to do. So the first timers will get a, you know, we, we love you. We appreciate you. They'll get a call from me that week. 
what we're working on now is how to actually document when is their third time. So that's kind of what we're going to be meeting about as elders in the next few weeks and, and discussing. Well, that's yeah. great. So, so let, let's, oh, this is what I want to talk about. Yeah. Tim, start off with that. Okay. So it's not first time. Tell us your process from a first time visitor to getting that gift. Sure. What, what, what is currently your process right now? Well, right now it's, they need to let us know that it's their first time here. So we yeah. <laughs> push the connection card. It's online. Yeah. It's also physical and it's tough because not everyone fills one out, but if they do, uh, they get a contact, a direct phone call from me, check in, how you doing? How can I pray for you? Uh, love to see you again. And then our, our first impressions team has eyes on our first timers. And then next time we try to connect with them in some way. And this is where we're, this is where we're really trying to figure out what's the five, six, seven step process, because we want to get that bag in their hands on their, on their third, you know, visit to Lakeview. So that's where we're kind of dropping the ball is when is it their third time? Should we give it to them their first time? So we just got the welcome bags together and I'm pushing not first time, but I've got an elder who wants to give them out first time. So it's kind of this back and forth. Well, let's, let's wait. We've got mugs and stickers and Frisbees and all sorts of goodies in there. And they're sweet. I've got members who are like, I want to, I want to welcome back. So we're actually going to sell them to members and with the, with the idea of, Hey, you can buy this and every money is going back into making sure that we can replenish these, these welcome bags. Or you just tell them if they bring someone for the first time, they get one free. Ooh, I like that. Tim. So, so are you the one making a point of contact with first time visitors? So I, I call all of our first time visitors. Um, I work at a church small enough where I think I should be that guy. I, I say from stage, if you fill this card out, I will call you this week. And so I try to be a man of my word there. Now, if we were a much larger church and it was, you know, dozens and dozens a week, that, that probably shouldn't be me. But right now when it's, you know, six or less a week, that's, that's less than one hour it's a, a week. It's a half an calls. afternoon. Yeah. And, and, and what is this? And what are those conversations like when you call? Like, what is your intent when you call them? What do you do? What do you say? Call, introduce myself. I thank them for coming to Lakeview. I ask them how their, how their Sunday went, uh, if they had any questions. And I always close with, how can I be praying for you? So it's, it's normally not a lot of dialogue on my end. The, people usually respond well. And they're also really thankful. Like, thank you so much for calling me. That was really cool. So it's a nice little personal touch. Now, I want to pause right here and say this. It's like what Tim, you just did and said is, I think is really, really important, but also really, really practical, hence our name, not just for pastors, but like if you're a youth pastor, every new kid in your youth group, give them a call, a text if you can get that information, something like that, what, what Tim just said. If you're a children's pastor, because I know there's a couple of children's people listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. a new family comes up, they check in, their, you, you have their information because you check in their kid. Send him a quick phone call. Hey, you know, your kid was a, such a joy in the class to, in, uh, that we had. It, like, bring him back to the kid. And this, that could be a point of entry. Uh, discipleship pastor, uh, a new a new person joins a small group. Boom. That, that could be a, fir- a first time. I just think that, like, that point of contact that's like, hey, let me just have this quick 15-minute, 20-minute conversation with this new family. I think is not just a senior pastor to new families, but that could spread to right. all the kind of listeners that we're having. Um, I just think for a lot of younger ministry leaders, there is a sense of like insecurity of like, first off, who uses the phone? Who calls people? That's mm-hmm. that's weird in itself. But two, it's like I asked that question, like, what do you talk about? Because it's like, well, what do I say? Hey, thanks for coming. Please come back. Like, I think I think it's helpful to have kind of even like a small script, like, hey, 
when you call them, ask yep. these questions. That's there's good. a good ch- there's a good chance it's going to go to voicemail, but nevertheless, yeah, I, I'd say fifty percent <laughs> of the time I leave a voicemail. Yep. Uh, the other thing that I did want to hit on was we had our newcomers luncheon. This was a pre-COVID thing that we just brought back for the first time. Yeah. Uh, we saw traction in it pre-COVID. We knew it was working really really well. So we try to about four times a year have our newcomers luncheon. And that's if this is your first Sunday or you've been coming for six months or longer and just want to get to know our leadership team. So I have all staff, all elders and spouses, and the church provides the free lunch. And yesterday we had our biggest attended, our best attended newcomers luncheon that we've ever had. So it was, it was a really cool experience. And I had staff and elders texting me this morning saying that they woke up just with a sense of joy, knowing how much fun yesterday was. It was a, it was a big win. It was really cool. And that's where we actually introduced the welcome bag. So we gave everyone a welcome (laughs) bag there. Um, Tim, so can you tell us what's in the welcome bag? Yeah. I want to know where you got them because they were legit looking. Yeah. um, We... Got mugs from discountmugs.com, I think. I'll put a link in the show notes. We also got Frisbees for a dollar a piece. And then I have been stocking up on stickers from Sticker Mule. So every week when they have a sale, it's normally under 20 bucks. I participate in that sale and it's like, hey, 50 stickers for $7. Well, you do that six times a year and suddenly you've got hundreds of stickers. So we do everything on a budget. And then I had one of my elders do up a, a bifold, you know, tri-panel info thingy that we, we just, we just went through a whole rebranding thing. So we wanted our graphics and everything on something on paper. So those also went in the welcome bags as well. So mug, Frisbee, sticker, info about the church. And what and kind the of bag? bag it, the bag itself was sweet. We also was it like got Ziplocs? From, it's 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 almost like a laptop bag. I mean, you could use it as a grocery bag. Uh, okay, but uh, we it's also like a, got it's it for a tote. It's a okay, t- it's okay. a small tote. It's not a large tote. It's a small tote. My wife loves it. It's got our church logo on it, and I've got one in the kitchen. So if you give me a second, well, what else? What else do you guys? Uh, the other guys. Well, what else is in your first time? Bag? Well, at our central campus, it is a bag that says "Welcome," um, but we load in and load out every week. So that basically means the excess bags get smashed every week. So I had to, how to reinvent the wheel here. Cause when you're in a smaller space and another thing we've noticed is sometimes people don't like walking around church with a welcome bag, making them stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what I did is I had our assistant just go and buy these like, um, you know, plain envelopes. We bought a stamp. You could just stamp on it inside of it. I'll share with you really quick because one of my philosophies with, with um, church welcome stuff is whatever you use to get people is what you have to use to keep them. So like we, we do want to hook them up, make them feel good, but not at the expense of making them think, well, this is a church where it's all about the gifts and not the giver, you know? Um, so Ooh. what we do is put in here. Um, I put, I had a bookmark made with the Prince of Preachers, you know, Spurgeon in our logo on one side um sticker mule shout out to tim just now we had these coasters made these coasters have got a lot of traction in our community because we were doing stickers but like business owners don't need stickers but they'll put a coaster in their law firm Mm. and it's got our logo um and then it has a personal note from me in it we also have um uh just a business card and then this one i went down to uh little caesars and i bought several hundred 
vouchers for free pizza because my thing is when a family leaves church, if I can just take care of their lunch, if they got some small kids, so they know if they go to little Caesars, just give them this, they're going to get a free pizza It's five bucks. So I think inside the whole pack, I've got less than $8. Um, and that's what we're doing for first timers right now. Like I said, we've had different variations, but for me, um, doing mobile load in load out, having a small thing is, is, is key for us. Good. Yep. So if you're if you're watching, um, and you guys are, uh, here's our our sweet little tote bag, and it was from discountmugs.com, as well as our frisbees, which I don't know why we got. You frisbee, look like but... a frisbee golf kind of guy, bro. So it I'm led us gonna... to the discussion. So true story. We we just started researching putting in an official frisbee golf course on See? Lakeview around you our lake, so man. a nine hole course. So we're actually in the process of getting that approved. Uh, hopefully awesome. within the next two months. Uh, a little baggie of stickers, <laughs> and then my my favorite, and it's what everyone's loving right now, is our sweet little you know campfire mugs, and mugs. logo on both sides. So if you're right or left handed, that was the key. I've known some churches who do logo on one side. That's cool. And on what those insta on those insta picks, <laughs> don't you don't get the you don't get the shot no matter what. So right or left handed, you're getting the church logo. See, we we nice. do the campfire mug it's as so well. Considerate with just church name on it. And on the back was, uh, you belong here. And we, uh, when we ordered these, like right when I first started, um, we used four imprint for them Mm -hmm. and four imprint is headquartered in Wisconsin, Frank. But here's the thing. The print shop that they use is in St. Petersburg. And so I can order them from Wisconsin, but drive to pick them up myself and save on shipping. And when you're ordering a couple hundred mugs that way, you know, a lot it saves you a lot of money by me going to pick them up instead of having them shipped from st pete to wisconsin to safety harbor nice. so wow. um we we just do a mug with one of the like with a bifold trifold pamphlet in there and we do them for our first time visitors but pre-covid it was you know fill out the connect card and we'll trade you the connect card for this gift and since covid it's been like hey we're not handing things out we don't want you handing stuff to us so Take well, it, it's take it. It's yours. And uh, the the thing that was the inspiration for you know, let's make sure we have something. There was an outreach magazine article written, and this is years ago at this point. But they surveyed you know X number of first time church guests guests and X number of um, churches, and it was, said something to the point where one out of ten visitors that you have at your church will make your church their home church um you know eventually one out of every 10 visitors but one out of every three visitors that receives some kind of a gift on their first visit will return to your church within the next three weeks the second time is the critical like getting them back is huge i've heard i've heard it's the third like that that's why i was pushing this because i had this conversation with my uncle he's a pastor in central florida and so here's what they just started doing so on your third visit and they have a very systematic way of tracking it you bring the connection card and then you get a coupon. The coupon gets you a coffee. And then, then on their third time. They inject you with a microchip. They yep. inject you with a microchip. So, so get this. Sure. Yep. On their third time, they have boxes ready and a, a team of volunteers who leaves service when they are in service and delivers the boxes to their doorstep. That's a dope. welcome box. So when they get home from church, they have a welcome box from the church on Sunday afternoon. They just started this two weeks ago. That's like so how cool. legit is that? 
That's super legit. That's cool. Like, can you sustain that? I don't know, but it was such. <laughs> he, sh- he showed me the boxes they're doing. I was like, dude, this is incredible. It's a ton of work, but yeah. they just started it, and he said it is a hit with their community. Yeah. That's cool. I'm uh, guessing there's probably. Uh, a, can a, I share one and stuff in there? Yeah. Yeah. I want to share one one thing we did with student ministry, and this was probably the best first time thing we ever did in student ministry. Um, if they come the first time, uh, we put together, you know what loot crates are? You, you can subscribe yeah. to them. We make loot boxes. And I go to the post office and I get flat rate ship boxes. We stuff them with student ministry, like bracelets. There's the little straws that fold out that you can drink. Um, there's stickers, there's confetti, there's candy. But there's also two letters. There's, um, there's a letter to the student. And then there's a letter to their parent or guardian from the student pastor saying, hey, mm-hmm. we know how big of a deal it is that you um, would let would trust us with your kid. We just want you to know, thank you for that. Because what happens is who checks the mail at someone's house? It's not yeah. the student. So what you're doing, you're leveraging your first time gift to 100%, almost fail safe, interact with that parent, even if it's passive. And some of the best feedback we ever got and early trust and buy-in from parents was by adopting this loot crate thing. I went to Sticker Mule and you can have your logo put onto tape and we just wrap yep. that box in tape with the logo and it looks dope as heck. So um, that's, but that's one of the things we did when I was in, stu- we still do it now here. We do, if the student comes first time, they get a loot crate box and it costs cool. us like, I think we got less than 10 bucks in the whole thing. I, I, let me ask you uh, uh, this question. So there's a lot of onus on um, first time visitors. Are there any other milestones for a, person where there's something that they receive and and what i mean by that i'll just show my cards what i'm saying is um in my church um every first time giver so sometimes when a person gives for the very first time they get a handwritten letter from the campus pastor saying Mm. hey you took a big step like you know you you took a faithful step in your discipleship to start giving and like and like, and like, we don't know how much they give. Like, that's not our, my job or at all, but just like uh, an admin says, Hey, so-and-so gave there's, you know, um, you, you know, write him a letter. And so we write him a quick letter saying, Hey, it's very short. It's like a couple of sentences. We're glad you gave, glad your first step. If there's anything, any questions to have, come reach out to me. And, um, and I guess there's some like science or logic behind that in the sense that like, you know, Hey, you're, you're not rewarding them. You're just saying them like a, a thank you letter, but you're just acknowledging that, Hey, they yeah. took a step in their discipleship and that's meaningful. I think the same thing could happen after they get baptized. Yeah. Like I know, I know some churches, they give like a, what, like a Bible certificate, like here, mm-hmm. here's the, you know, kind of like a birth certificate. Here's a baptism certificate, yeah. you know, true story. <laughs> those baptism certificates uh, serve as a proof of identification of the DMV. So no. I don't know when you, I don't know yeah. when you would ever need that information, but a baptism certificate is a valid form of ID at the DMV. Yep. <laughs> that seems illegal. <laughs> I'm going to come in there with my framed baptism certificate. Listen, That's in great. Florida, it counts. I don't know yeah. about the rest of you uncivilized people. Frank, I no. really like the handwritten letter for giving. That is a very real thing that nonprofits do all the time. My lead elder yeah. runs. Uh, he, he's, he works at a nonprofit, and he, he started coaching me on that last year, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do it with our large donors. I like the idea idea of doing it with first time givers. That's a really really cool idea. Jeff, you know what you should have done when you were in Orlando? What's that? First time, Disney first, first time givers get a free uh, ride on the ski boat. 
That's a, I a certificate for <laughs> and baptism. Hey, thank you all so much for worshiping with us today. If you're a first timer, we've got a little gift for you. And if you gave for the first time today, we've got a ski boat right out back. And we're going to take a spin around the lake. And we would love, we're going to pass the offering baskets again. We would love to take you and your family tubing. Let's yep. pray. We, we're get, we'll give you a, a free bathing suit. <laughs> so just uh, line up in the back. You, we got you covered. Oh You're all good. It's a, br- a branded bathing suit. It's a branded, yeah. It's a branded suit. So one trunks. big milestone now at Lakeview yeah. is membership. So I've been pushing for this for a while. So we now do uh, members-only robes. So they're bathrobes. So when you join Lakeview Church, you get a – I'm joking. I, it's my <laughs> running joke on Sundays that if you join Lakeview, you will get a members-only bathrobe. Wow. One Sunday, that, like I'm hoping somebody shows up with one as a joke because it would be, that'd be so hilarious. Funny. That's like some Scientology stuff right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know – I'll tell you and one thing. We've been trying to order custom bathrobes ever since I've known him. It's been a decade of Tim. All you got to do is get a patch. Order and get, a, get a custom patch and get a white one. Like, I have a Jacksonville Jaguars bathrobe that I don every winter vacation. It's too hot to wear in Florida, but it's amazing. That's awesome. You know, there's one thing I heard about one church doing. I absolutely love this idea. Um, one church, when you become a covenant member of their church, they actually, the senior pastor, whoever signs the covenant alongside with the people, and then they actually send you a, a professional like copy in the mail. So you can um, put it in, in, a, in a frame and put it in your house. And actually there was this one congregation, I think he was like a lawyer or something. He actually had his church covenant framed and in his office because oh. But he, because he was able to um, tell people, hey, this is just as binding for me as other stuff that I do. I thought that was because how many times do new members join and they sign the paperwork and like, yeah, I'm a member now. But uh, yeah. you can you can make it so much more meaningful for them. Or they're like, wow, afterwards, the pastor signed this and got it back to me that that'll have a lot of value. So I've heard of people doing that as a new member follow up. Delmar, you know what that tells me, though, that what? a lot of churches don't do is value membership. Yeah. There's actually a whole discussion there. It's like, I think a lot of churches see membership as like a, Hey, you're just committing to serve and give. And it's like having a food lion card. (laughs) Yeah. You get get a couple extra discounts. They want the church membership until it comes to like, Hey, you're walking in sin or Hey, we're worried about you. And then it's like, Hey, leave me alone. But even on the other side though, it's like, like, especially like larger mega churches. I think that's what the book talked about is um, membership in larger churches uh, don't really matter. They, they, they don't have like a good like philosophy of membership because yeah. it's just simply like something you do, but there's no like, like what's the purpose of the person going to your church? Why would they want to become a member if functionally they do all the same things as a regular attender? Right. And, exactly. and if anything, a member has more res- negative responsibility, like serving and giving, right? So, I mean, that's not negative. I'm saying the regular attorney would see that as a negative thing. And, I, and I, think, I think we should have a conversation one day on, like, what is member – I mean, this is actually probably a really deep conversation. Of, like, what does membership look like in your church? And, like, how has that, that evolved and changed throughout the years? Because I think, like, um, as that book that we're reading, The Gospel Driven Church, two things that kind of, like – on the back burner of a lot of like growing churches is membership and church discipline. And I think mm-hmm. uh, it might be worthwhile to have the discussion. Hey, hey so but- before we go on, I did want to add one thing from the very small church perspective. I think I'm the smallest one here. Uh, one of the things you got to watch out for if you're a small church pastor is uh, if you haven't had a lot of guests in a while, or you're at a church that's struggled or kind of plateaued uh, sometimes first time guests can get swarmed by members. 
yeah. uh, because they're so excited that they're there. And it's actually like they, they have a good heart about it, but they don't realize that it's actually pretty off-putting. So I remember, and, and there, there are some things you got to watch out for for that first time experience where like uh, there was a church I was at once where they, I mean, it was like pretty aggressively wanted you to wear a name tag when you were first time. And it's like, it made it very obvious that you were the first timer and all that stuff. So, I mean, right now we're still working through a lot of that. That's Tim. Why I was so interested in what you had. Cause we, we don't currently give anything other than I do write a handwritten uh, note to somebody who visits, if I get their information or I'll call them. Uh, and I was going to say also, if you, if you use planning center, uh, planning center, people to get real practical has the thing called workflows. Mm-hmm. Super amazing. You set that up. And so I have it set up to where if we get a, uh, especially now doing digital connect cards on the church center uh, site that you can get uh, when that gets filled out, I get alerted. And then there's like a four step process where I make initial contact and then I make a follow up and I check in if I need to. And it just sends me a reminder uh, for things like, Hey, if I told this person, I'll be praying for you to actually remember to pray for them and not just say it. <laughs> so that's a big one. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we got some of these, these are just branded, um, you can't see them because the lighting, but just branded postcards. They're just three by five cards with our logo on one side and just lines on the backside. And then I have another one uh, that just says thank you with our church logo on the bottom and lines on the other side. And I write handwritten thank you notes from time to time for people. That's awesome. And then just as a practice, and I, honestly, I'm, I'm fa- I've fallen out of it recently, but I get my church, um, my old church uh, directory out and I just kind of work through it and anybody that I kind of feel led to write a handwritten note to, I just do that about once every two weeks so that over the course of a couple of years, you're kind of writing most of the people in your congregation. So younger pastors with an older congregation and handwritten notes are like right. leadership right. gold, man. We have a, a desk in our offices that's always manned by, um, you know, a desk lady. They're volunteers. And I will take them a list of every single person that's on our entire roster. And I will have like one of those bookmarks or a coaster made. And I will say, hey, over the next two months, can we write this card for this purpose to every single person? Like we'll, we'll, we'll attack entire communities that way because what we try to do, and this is probably a conversation for another podcast is, all right, how do you even get them to be the first time guest? You know, but one of the strategies we have in one of our communities, that's more well to do, because what we find is like canvassing the community with trinkets and gifts and stuff does not work with people who are well off. Um, We, we, we're harvesting every single email. I mean, every single address in the entire community. And we have a ministry here. They pray over that house and write that person a card. Wow. And uh, we, we've seen that have some feet to it as well. Cause like Frank said, man, it buys you so much cred with um, uh, the generation above us taking a time to write to them. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. Um, we're going to actually have a, a, a quick prayer for our buddies down in, uh, in Texas. Yeah. So we'll be right back. Obviously, in the news, you've been hearing about um, folks in Texas and Oklahoma and all over the South where um, they're facing all kinds of um, hardships and difficulties because of the winter. It, I mean, the reality is, is like a lot of houses in the South, a lot of buildings in the South were not built to withstand the kind of cold temperatures that a lot of us Midwesterners and Northeasterners are kind of used to. Um, and so it's, you know, 
it, it's tragic. I know I've been seeing some cool stuff. I don't know if you guys saw it. Matt Chandler and DeVos Church, they teamed up with a community organization that was handing out bottled water, water purifiers, and plumbing equipment to, to, to homes in need. And I was like, that's a really cool, like, missional way to care for your community in the midst of something kind of tragic as, as what's been happening with the really, really cold temperatures. But Andrew, I know you lived in Texas. You worked in Texas. You went to school at the Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so I know you probably even know some folks down there who um, are kind of, you know, I'm sure you saw the video of the 100 car pile up on the highway. And, and I mean, there's just these super sad stories of families trying to stay warm by being in their cars and they're getting, you know, carbon monoxide poisoning. And then there's churches who, I mean, pipes are blo- uh, are leaking and and it just there's so much stuff going on. So, Andrew, um, we have a number of listeners in Texas that are listening to us. But beyond that, could you pray for um, for the folks in Texas and in Oklahoma who are who are really struggling right now because of the cold temperatures? I would be honored to. But uh, Heavenly Father, you are good. You are good, and you are faithful, and you are sovereign, even in the midst of crisis. And in the midst of natural disaster, God, none of that changes about you. Lord, I pray that during the difficult days and weeks that have come and the days that are ahead for our brothers and sisters across the, the country, but specifically in the, the southern parts of our country that just got hammered by this winter storm. Father, I pray that you would equip your church to serve the community in ways that they never have before. God, I pray that you would equip your saints to be the salt and the light that you have called them to be in the community. And God, I pray that you would intervene on their behalf. God, I pray that you would raise up plumbers and contractors that would be willing to travel to those places that are in need of the most help. God, I pray that you would eliminate any red tape that Red Cross or any of the other big service organizations are trying to jump through because of the COVID season that we're in um, so that they can minister to these people as they need to be ministered to. Father, I pray that you would remove those obstacles. And above all, God, I pray that you would find a way to glorify yourself in the midst of this. God, use this tragedy to draw people into relationship with yourself. Use this tragedy to cause people to realize their need for their local church. God, use this tragedy to cause people to realize their need for a savior. God, be glorified in the midst of chaos. And it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, thanks so much for listening uh, today. Uh, if you want any of the links to some of the resources that um, that were mentioned today, um, I'll try to uh, gather them and put them in the show notes so you can check them out. Feel free to reach out to us. Um, we are on Instagram at Practically Pastoring. We have a Facebook page, but we also have a Facebook group. So look for our Facebook group, Practically Pastoring. A lot of great conversations happening in there. That's also what we're talking about, our book club, the Gospel Driven Church for this month. Uh, please join us in that conversation while we're there. Um, and, and please like and, and, and uh, this, please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so. Please share it with a friend, someone else in ministry. And, uh, and we look forward to talking to you guys next week. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Practically Pastoring. See you next time. Thanks for listening. 
Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.